So we are in the book of Job, and we are in chapter, we're in chapter 7 of the book of Job. So if you remember from the book of Job, very important, I think, for the setting to always be reminded what is going on. Job does not realize it, but there was a conversation between Job and, I mean, rather between God and Satan, in which God asked Satan, where, what have you been doing? He said, well, I've been going to and fro from throughout all the world. And 1 Peter 5 does say that Satan does go around like a roaring lion, seeing whom he may devour. So that's what he was doing. He wasn't just innocently taking a tour of the world. He was um, seeking whom he may devour. And the Lord said to him, well, if you consider my servant Job, there's no one like him on the earth in terms of a righteous person living for the Lord. And... Satan said, yeah, I've considered him, but you've put a hedge of protection around him. If you take that hedge of protection away, he will curse you to your face. He actually said, to your face, he will curse you. And when we were in that, that portion, Job chapter 1, we were just remembering that there's a hedge of protection around each one of you. And uh, it's important that you, thank you, that you remember that if the, if the Lord took that away, you would be sifted like wheat by, by the devil. You, you wouldn't last 10 seconds. And sometime in our pride, we, we feel like we're strong, we're, we're somebody, we can, we can do it. Well, it's the grace of God and it's his hedge of protection around you. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit with inside of you giving you strength. It's God's gift of faith to you. When Jesus said to Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He didn't say, I'm not going to let him. But he did say, I will increase your faith. So it's, it's, it's faith that he um, gives us. Ephesians 6 says that the shield of faith protects us against the devil. So it's the Lord. The Lord protects us. There is the season. Someday Satan will be cast into the lake of fire until then he and his realm of fallen angels uh, will continue to disrupt us. But um, 
the Lord said to Satan, okay, let's remove the, we'll remove this hedge of protection and uh, we'll see what happens here. And so Satan was allowed to, with no hedge of protection, he was allowed to, to come in. He killed all of Job's children. He destroyed all his property. The next chapter, he destroyed his health, took away all his servants. And it says that in spite of all that, it says that Job did not sin. Verse 10 of chapter 2 said, after Job's wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity, curse God and die? Job said to her, shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? It says in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so uh, your life is a witness to demons and devils. We tend to think of our witness just being to human beings, but that is uh, only half the story, and perhaps that's only 1% of the story. Perhaps there's way more demons than there are human beings. But um, Ephesians 3 repeats the same kind of thing, that we're, we're, we're a witness to the demonic realm. And... Uh, and, and God gets the glory as a result of it when you are in great adversity and you continue to follow the Lord. And so uh, eventually what happens is three of Job's friends show up. They're silent for seven days. And then Job uh, breaks the silence and he begins to to speak, wishing he was dead, and then uh, one of the one of the uh, people who showed up to be with him. I'll take off one of my hats. <laughs> one of the people who showed up to be with him. Uh, his name is Eliphaz. In chapter four, it looks like he interrupts him and says, "Hey, uh, stop talking like this," and he begins what we're going to hear for the rest, for, not for the rest of the book, for, but, but for the next 25 chapters, uh, the argument that, look, this happened because of your sin. And that was not the case. And he, he does something. Is this man named Aliphaz, he, he brings God into it. And that's particularly insidious when we bring the name of God into an argument where we really haven't we do, we really haven't heard from God. We think we have. Our heart thinks we have. The Bible says that um, he who trusts in his heart is a fool. Uh, and we need to be very careful when we're speaking to God. I suggest saying, I think the Lord has told me this, but that's not what this guy said. He basically, I saw a vision from God and... Uh, and guess what, Job? You have sin in your life. There's something, your, your lack of righteousness is the reason um, all this is uh, going on. And so 
Um, he carries on for a couple chapters. Job starts in chapter 6, um, res- uh, responding to him. And that is where we pick up in chapter 7. Verse 1 says, Is there not a time of hard service for a man on earth? Meaning, listen, I mean, uh, we live in a fallen world, and because of we're in a fallen world, man falls on hard times. And that is absolutely the case. Uh, when sin entered the world, it, um, it, it, it really affected every aspect of life and government of society, which makes life hard. And he's, saying, he's, he's telling these guys, listen, uh, not every calamity is because of man's sin. Life is hard. Sin has made it that way. He continues, and not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his uh, wages, so I have been allotted months of futility and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise and the night be ended? For I am, I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust and my skin is cracked and, and breaks out afresh. So uh, he, what he's saying here is, uh, listen, like verse two and three, like a, like a hired servant who, who works hard all day and they're living day to day for wages. Uh, they don't have anything in the bank. It's hard for them. That's how life is on planet earth. It wasn't meant to be like that. In the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve could just, before the fall, they could just go out and eat whatever, uh, and they didn't have to worry about that. But man's days are hard. And, and that's, I, I, he says in verse 3, uh, so I have been allotted months of futility. I'm in this season, I'm in this season of, of, of a hard life, and that's how life is. That's what he's saying here. Now, uh, verse 3, we have an interesting little uh, couple, uh, couple words there. It says, so I have been allotted months of futility. There is this question sometimes when you read the book of Job, how long is this all going on? Uh, actually, I thought it was just, when I first started reading this book, I thought it was just like a few days and his friends show up. No, he had been like this for months. He had been uh, like this for months. By the mercy of God, it wasn't years, but it was months. But, but let me tell you, um, this was a hard set of months. Uh, verse 6 says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. And so, do you guys know what a weaver's shuttle looks like? You ever seen that? It's, it, a weaver's shuttle goes really, really fast. It's one of those things that we don't see anymore because there's like mass production, but it goes... And, and you know, the garment, a weaver is a person who makes uh, garments, among other things, and the weaver's shuttle goes really, really, really quick. So the point here, actually, his days are very slow, and torturous, but the point that he's making is that my life is 
um, very short. Uh, my life is, is, is very short. It's, my life is about to end quickly, which is a lie. So remember, I think one thing lost on this, um, lost on us sometimes, and I don't, I can't, I don't know that I've ever read a commentator on Job, but that, that, that points this out, but remember, Satan is, is really involved. I'm sure many commentators have. I just haven't read them. But Satan's involved here, which means Satan is lying to Job. And this is one lie. Is I, I have just days to live at this point. Lie. Verse seven. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eyes will never again see good. Lie. And this is a very common lie from the devil when calamity strikes, it hits life. I mean, listen, I... I just in the past week, I've, I've talked with folks um, who are utterly convinced their life is done. The, 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 the calamity in their life, the trials in their life are just so intense, so heartbreaking, so terrible, they are convinced same thing that Job says in verse 7, my eye will never again see good. Lie. If, if you're here or listening ever to this message and that's what you think, that's a lie. Romans eight twenty eight. I think it's the linchpin of the, living the Christian life, meaning you take away this verse and the Christian life is impossible to live. It says, God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We can always know that there is good. Verse eight, the eye of him who sees me will see me no more. Lie. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. Lie. As the cloud dis disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave, does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. Now, that is, that's true. Once you die, you're not going back to your house anymore. You're going to something really better, or much better. Jesus says in John 14, verse 3, if I go and prepare a place, um, if I go, I will go and prepare a place for you, and I will return that and get you so that where I am, you may be also. He's, he, uh, and before that, he says, in, in my father's house, there's many mansions, and I have one for you, and I'm going to take you for it. So uh, it is true that um, once you die, you're not coming back to your house. You're going to get something much better. But the thing about this is Job thinks this is going to be happening real soon to him, and it's a lie. This is a common lie of the enemy when we get discouraged. My life will never be the same. The same. We will, I will never recover from this. Lie, 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 lie. For the Christian in the world, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth. 
to someone who does not have Jesus Christ. Last Sunday morning, what two verses did I put on the projection screen? Well, I put about 30. But two of them, Colossians 2.10, you are complete in Christ. And then I think Colossians 3.11, Christ is all in all. So when Christ is your all, when the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not be in want, meaning the Lord will get you to the place where, man, this is all I want. This is not only this all I need, it's all I even want, Jesus Christ. And so when we have Jesus Christ, the Lord will get us to the places, wow, I, I really, I don't even need or want anything else and, and, and uh, apart from him. Uh, and, and so... Um, but um, Satan, again, First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And what is he, how does he devour? He devours with lies. If you're in the world and you don't have Christ, there is a lot of truth if you lose all your possessions, you don't have Christ. You don't have what could be your all. You lose, you, you, you know, you, you, you lose that which completed you. Again, you are complete in Christ, but if you don't have Christ, man, you lose out on your health. You lose family members. You, you lose your possessions. You're not complete. You're very incomplete. <laughs> and, and, and you may finish your days being very incomplete and feeling very incomplete. In fact, you are incomplete without Christ. Verse 11, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. Ooh, not a good idea. Because he's going to be saying some things. You know, these guys, as we mentioned last week, these guys have spurred him on to question the character of God. And so... He says, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Verse 12, am I a sea or a sea serpent that you, speaking of, speaking of God, set a guard over me? Meaning, am I so wicked and dangerous to everyone around me that you have to lay me low like this? So he... He's just believing crazy stuff now. And indeed, our mind, we can lose our mind in temptations, um, in, in trials. And so that's why it is so important um, to focus on the Lord, particularly in trial. Verse 13, when I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. So at night, he is having nightmares. So remember, Satan was given free reign over this guy. And I tell you, um, not, not really recently, but I, I went through a time in my life, my Christian life even, uh, it's been years, where I was like having daily nightmares and it's a real thing, and, and Satan can get involved um, even in nightmares. And my, my suggestion to you, um, I don't have as much have nightmares anymore. I have like crazy madness dreams. 
nice suggestion. Get on your knees the second you get up and say, Lord, bring me back to you because I really don't like how far away from you I feel right now because that crazy dream that I was just in. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, Satan has given this guy dreams. Uh, the Lord has given Satan for a season time to, um, to do different things. And one of them is that, verse 15, so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone for my days are but a breath. And, and so uh, he's telling the Lord, let me alone. Let me alone, God. He's really, you know, he, the, so when you're in a trial, um, well, I, actually, let me, let, let's, can, let's continue. Verse 17 says, what is man that you should exalt him? Like, why am I getting all this attention? Little old me. I'm like this insignificant person on planet earth. Why am I getting all this attention? Psalm chapter eight says this, verse four, what is man, Lord, that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. Now we find out in the New Testament, Apostle Paul says, we will judge angels. I don't know what that's all about. Actually, it says it at least twice there in Corinthians. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, verse six says, you have made man to have dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet. And so uh, God does make much of man. In Genesis chapter two, he said, let us make man in our image. And right now, Job with, doesn't even know it, but he's in a cosmic drama where God's going to be glorified exceedingly, exceedingly. Actually, God is being glorified even, um, even in the midst of this trial in the heavens. Because remember, the angels in heavens uh, and the, the demonic angels, they're all looking at this. They don't know the result, but they know up to now he has not done what Satan said he was going to do, which was curse God and die. As you remove that hedge, you, you remove that head, hedge around Job, Jehovah, and he will curse you to your face. None of that, that has not happened. And then he said, verse 20, have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? He's talking to God here. Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not Pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity, for now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. So, uh, as I was saying last week and on Sunday morning, anytime calamity is in your life, for certain, uh, you do need to say, have I sinned? Is, something, uh, is there something uh, that uh, I have done? I, I've and, and I have been in counseling before where, where someone's like in a bad season in their life and they're convinced there is some sin that they just don't know about. They've asked the Lord, what sin do I have? 
and the Lord has not told them. And I tell them, assuredly, the Bible says to you, God would tell you if you were in sin. He, he would tell you if you were in sin. He doesn't want you staying in a place um, that Satan wants to keep you in a place where you say, sure, sure, certainly the blood of Jesus is not enough. There must be some sin that I have not been made aware of. It will not happen. God will reveal. If, there's, if he has not revealed a sin to you and made it clear, yeah, you definitely, that means there is no sin that you were actively involved with. Um, you just need to trust the Lord and seek him and understand that um, he's got you in a, tr in a trial. You know, we're free to ask the Lord why we're in a trial, but when, and sometimes he may answer why we're in a trial, but if he does not answer, we need to understand that it's best that we do not know. It's his good and perfect will for some reason that we do not know why we are in the trial. We can always know, by the way, that he will be glorified in it. We can always know that good will become of it because all things work together for good. And Exodus 34, when Moses asked God who he was, show me, show me your glory, he said, he said, he passed before Moses and declared that the Lord is abounding in goodness. He can't help but being good. So somehow, you may not know specifics of why, but um, you can know that it's for his glory and for your good. That's not easy that's when we're in a really intense trial. That's why we need to stay on our knees um, every day. Chapter eight, then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said. So Job has been speaking for a couple, uh, a couple chapters. It's unclear whether he's being interrupted here. It does say he answered. Uh, I tend to think he was interrupted. These guys have to talk. You know, whenever you're in a conversation and you're like, oh, I got to say something, oh, I got to say something, oh, I got to say something, 99% sure it's your flesh. Because our flesh just, you know, it, it, your flesh, and I certainly know mine, we always have this desire that we rarely want to listen, take the time just to listen and be patient. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, the book of James said. I rather think he's interrupting. And he says, how long will you speak these things and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? And, and you know, I was counseling someone um, on Sunday and uh, I literally had to wait for an hour before they, before they finished speaking because there was so much pain um, and I just kept on praying, Lord, give me patience just to keep listening. Uh, it's, it's, um, people need to, to speak, and um, I, like what, uh, I like what Damien Kyle says 
um, about this subject. He says, you know, when someone's pouring their heart, heart out before you, it's holy ground, and you need to treat it like that. He says, but it's not treated as holy. And believe me, I've violated this just like Bildad does here. He said, how long will you speak these things? Like, are you just going to go on and on about this? And the words of your mouth be like a strong wind. Does God subvert judgment, meaning is God not just? So again, uh, this guy Bildad's looking at Job. He's in all this misery. It's obviously this is about sin because God would never do this to a righteous person. By the way, quick, quick uh, side note. One of the best examples, the, the best example in the Bible of someone suffering, even though he's innocent, is Jesus, of course. But Jesus was who? The son of David. I tell you, David, great examples. Ten years being chased by Saul, Saul trying to kill him because he was righteous. <laughs> For the very reason that he was a righteous man, Saul was chasing him. And of course, at, 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 in, in, in um, 1 Samuel 27, uh, unlike, unlike uh, the son of David, Jesus Christ, David gave up and he went to live with the Philistines for a while. He did a lot of stupid things. But for like 10 years, he, he suffered tremendously for being righteous. That's, by the way, is at a later time Job is probably the first book that was written in the Bible. And uh, we don't have the benefit of the, uh, uh, these guys don't have the benefit of the rest of the Bible, but nevertheless, they're sinning by, by saying some of the things that they're doing. And that's why at the end, Job is going to have to, he's going to have to uh, uh, offer an offering to God for these guys so that their sins are forgiven. But anyway, that happens in the last couple chapters. But consider this outrageous statement. If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. You know, that's not what you tell someone who's just lost 10 kids. And of course he's wrong. And of course, this is the enemy. This is the devil trying to just break this man's commitment to the Lord. I tell you, just praying for my own children, I just can't, I've been really thinking so much about Job chapter 1 verse 5, which says um, that he would rise early every morning and offer a burnt offering for his kids and then it says, for Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so what is, what is Satan doing right now? He's trying to convince Job that's what happened. This man who cared so much for his children. Because I haven't seen him sin, but may, what if they sinned in their hearts? So I'm going to offer a burnt offering. And Satan is trying to bring him to that place of condemnation. Verse 5, if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely how he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. 
Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. And so one of the odd things um, about reading uh, the book of Job is from time to time you'll get something that is true. Oh, Eldon, requirement for the evening. Get on that side. Stephanie is isolating herself. <laughs> She's... Um, uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, verse 8 says, for I say that because his latter end is going to increase abundantly. So it's like, just because every once in a while a false prophet happens to get something right. It's one of the creepy things about a lot of these false prophetic ministries that you will see from time to time, uh, where they just purport to be prophets. We're talking about 2024 now. And uh, they say things, a lot of times they'll say things that are so general that they can't help but be true. And, and so they say, you see, I said what was true. Uh, yeah, but it was so general. Um, you know, never mind all the things that they said that never came true. Um, they're trying to point to this other, these other things. And, you know, if, if you shoot a machine gun, you're bound to hit some target somewhere. And he says something that actually will turn out to be true. Job's latter end, end of verse 7, will increase abundantly. Verse 8, for inquire, please, of the former age and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we were born yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? Can the papy papyrus grow up without a marsh? So why does he say that? You know what? Well, so the, next verse, the, the next part of the verse is, can the reeds flourish? without water. So what he's saying is, if there's sin, there's going to be judgment. And just like if there's reeds, there's going to be water. So he's wrong about how he's using uh, this expression, but that's the point that he's trying to make here. Verse 12, while it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant so are the paths of all who forget God. So he's trying to argue to Job, you've forgotten God. And the hope of the hypocrite shall perish. Job, you've been a hypocrite. That is why you're suffering so much. Verse 14, whose confidence shall be cut off and whose trust is a spider's web. I mean, eventually a spider's um, uh, web is, is going to be broken up. Verse 15, speaking of the unrighteous hypocrite who everyone thought was righteous. We thought you were righteous, Job, but really you have secret sin that no one knows about. He's talking about that kind of person. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. Remember, Job's house had fallen down. So he's just... Again, accuser. What is Satan? What is his name? The accuser, the accuser, the adversary, the accuser of the brethren. And the Satan is always use it, using weak-minded or uh, Christians who do not know the Bible or who are not walking with the Spirit. He uses them 
far more than he uses people in the world in our lives. And so uh, that's what is going on now. He's, Satan is using these men who they have pride in their life. They think they're something that they're not. They, they think they're godly counselors and they're not. Verse 16, he grows green in the sun and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a place in the stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him saying, I have not seen you. Meaning he'll never be able to get it again. If his place is destroyed, he's going to be um, without a, a house forever. Again, that's a lie too, because Job, everything's, everything's going to be restored to Job and more. Verse 19, behold, this is the joy of his way and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold uh, the evil doers. So verse 19 really has to sting because if your Bible, in your Bible is my Bible, the word his is a capital H. This is the joy of his way, meaning it's the joy of the Lord to take the, the unrighteous like you and cast them down. Well, actually, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, I think it's verse 35, God is kind to the evil. He's kind to the evil. That's what it says. And, and says, you're not a son of the Most High. You're not a daughter of the Most High, unless you are too. That's Jesus' words. You can go read the verse. Listen, I'm quoting that very intense verse. I better get it right. Luke 6, 35, yeah. Luke 6, 35. So it's not the joy of the Lord to punish the wicked. And not only that, Job's not even wicked. But, but it, it, you can imagine this, this lie getting into your mind. It's someone telling you it's, it's, it was God's joy to cast you down. That's how Satan, Satan's a liar. He wants to destroy you. He wants to... He's a devourer. How does he devour? He devours with lies. I mean, that's at the intense verse, verse 19. Wow. Verse 21, he will yet fill, um, he will yet fill your mouth with lap, laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Uh, meaning, if he comes clean with his sin, if he just confesses his sin, Verse 22, those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. And then in chapter nine, Job responds, truly I know it is so, how can a man be righteous before God? Meaning, this is not an easy verse, by the way, in, in the context, there's a lot of verses in Job that are not easy, what he appears to be saying here is, as a general rule, I agree with you that when he says, truly, I know it is so. As a general rule, I, 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 know, I know, I agree with you that the, the righteous um, are prospered by God. The, the wicked are not prospered by God by God. I know that. But then he says, but how can a man be righteous before God? Meaning, but 
how can God expect perfection? That appears to be what he's saying here. Verse 3, if one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. Meaning, uh, he appears to be saying, listen, I'm not perfect. No one is perfect. That's what he appears to be saying here. Now, he is going to defend generally his integrity. There's, there's nothing wrong. The, the psalmist says in uh, verse, uh, Psalm 25, he sa- uh, the psalmist says that, that, it says, let your uprightness and integrity uphold you, meaning we can say that we are upright as a general rule. We can say that. I quoted, remember last Sunday at the beginning of the service, I just mentioned that I was preaching on Psalm, I mean, I was preaching on on Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And I just shared with the church that that morning in my memory verses, the very last verse, which was on my agenda just to recite, was the last verse of Psalm 32, which says, be glad in the Lord, you righteous. Shout for joy, you upright in heart. There's nothing wrong with us taking a general view of our life and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm an upright person. There's nothing wrong with that. Otherwise, we would look at that verse in, if, if God, if that verse means perfection, that means, well, I can never rejoice because I'm not perfect. Uh, but the verse says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Oh, you righteous, shout for joy, you upright in heart. Uh, and, and, and so Job is what he appears to be saying in these verses. I mean, I, I, he's, he's like, okay, um, I understand I'm not perfect. Verse three again, if one wished to contend with God, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against them and prospered? He removes the mountains and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise. Um, he, I guess a way of, <laughs> that verse is difficult too, right? So I think, I think maybe the way to read into that, he, if he wanted to, like, is it the book of Joshua? Where, st- where the sun stopped? Was that Joshua? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it one other place too? With been? Ahaz? Turn the clock, turn the clock back, or something like that. God has the ability to do this kind of thing. Uh, he commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear Orion and the Pleiades. Pleiades. How do I say that? Is that right? And the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate 
beneath him. Again, the whole thing is like, I'm not perfect, I'm not God. And he's saying to these guys, if that's what you're expecting, no one meets the standard. Verse 14, how then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. Meaning, even if I was a righteous person generally on planet Earth, I'd still have to be begging mercy with the Lord. You're all familiar with the verse that says, even our most righteous acts are like filthy rags. That's in Isaiah 64. So he says, even if I were righteous, verse 15, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice for he crushes me with tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not allow me to catch my breath but fills me with bitterness. Of course, that's not the heart of God. But again, remember, this guy is being toyed with by the devil. The devil is whispering these things. That's why in Ephesians 6, it says, above all things, when you're fighting the devil, above all things, what is it? Someone shout it out. What do you do against the devil above all things? Ah! What? Resistirlo. Resistirlo, pero con qué? The shield of faith. Remember in Ephesians chapter 6, the shield of faith with which you fend off the flaming arrows of the evil one. What are the flaming arrows? Lies. Lies. And he's just getting lies from the devil. He's getting um, lies from the devil. uh, And one of those, uh, where am I here? What verse am I in? One of, one, of, one of those lies is in verse 18 that God is filling him up with bitterness. God does not do that. <laughs> if it is a matter of strength, indeed, he is strong. And if on justice, who will appoint my day in court? Meaning I, I can't, I can't, I'm never going to, he's telling these guys, I will never meet the standard of perfection. If that's what you guys are expecting none of you guys are righteous either, is what he's saying. Verse 20, though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. You know, it's easy. This is, this is something I hear too in counseling. I just, I despise my life. I hate who I've become. Just know for sure, that too is not a place where God wants anybody ever to arrive at. Again, it's understandable why he thinks that, but you were made in the image of God. You have a purpose, a plan to, that God has appointed to glorify God in your life. And uh, he really wants to move you away from this notion that my life, I just despise it. You have a plan in your life, a purpose in your life, unique from every other human being who ever lived that God meticulously tailored for you with your name in mind. 
And so never should we be despising our lives. Verse 22, it is all one thing. Therefore, I say he destroys the blameless and wicked. Wow. So, so, the, so this is the biggest lie um, of, the whole, of the whole book of Job. Verse 23, if the scourge slays suddenly, it says he, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. And so that's not the heart of God. God has a heart that's abounding in goodness. And God weeps over the wicked when he judges them, much less the innocent. But again, these guys come along and they stir up the care, stir up lies about the character of God. And so now he's bought into it. Verse 24, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. No, there's some truth to that, right? The, the, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. But, of course, the Lord is in control. He covers the face of his judges. It is, if it is not he, who else could it be? Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on his prey. Again, he's not saying here, oh, each day is so fast. It's the opposite. When you're in this kind of life, each day is so long. What he's saying is, my days are numbered. I'm going to die soon. A lie, a lie, a lie. Verse 27, if I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. I am afraid of all my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. If I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? In other words, if I'm condemned, God, why, don't, why can't I just die? What's, what's the point of me continuing to live? Verse 34, if I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. So again, lie, 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 lie. Satan will do this to you. He will lie, 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 lie in order to discourage you because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah chapter nine, the joy of the Lord is what glorifies God. Your joy is directly tied to the glory of God. If Satan can take away your joy, he will do it. And how might he do it? Verse 30 it says, if I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with soap, he'll still plunge me into the pit. Meaning, living for God is a complete waste of time. Seeking after holiness is a complete waste of time. I'm wasting my life by living for the Lord. He's trying to rob him of his, of his joy. Verse 32, For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together, nor is there a mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me, then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. And so, verse 33, he says, there's not a mediator. 
between us. Man longs for a mediator between him and God because every man instinctively knows that he's a sinner, that he's wicked, and that he's fallen short. Man longs for a mediator. You know, the wonderful thing about, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I live in the New Covenant. New Covenant, one of the, one of the things that, that um, it says is, oh, where is it? It says in 1 Timothy 1.10, 1 Timothy 1.10 says, oh no, that's not it. Hmm. Maybe, it's, maybe it's 2 Timothy 1.10. Yes, it says, Jesus Christ brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, meaning he, he revealed so many things by coming and living and dying and rising again and being taken up and then giving us his word that Job didn't know, that actually no one in the old covenant knew. He brought life and immortality to us and light and light. And so one of those things is, is of course, we know that we do have a mediator. We do have a mediator. And... We have a mediator. I think if we look at the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have two. We usually think it's Jesus, the only mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. That's, that's um, 1 Timothy. But the Holy Spirit, I just love this verse, verse 26 of Romans 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. He mediates for us. He prays for us. I love the beginning of that verse, by the way. I just, I really just, I just really marin let that verse marinate on my soul from time to time. The Spirit helps me in my weakness. It's not limited, by the way, to intersections, many things. But one of the things is he prays for us. Somehow he prays for us. It says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so the Spirit is a mediator. So what, we long, what man longed for in the Old Testament, we have. We have a mediator. We have two, actually. The Holy Spirit. We have Jesus Christ who later on in the same chapter, Romans chapter 8, the peak of the Mount Everest of the Bible, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. Wow, is it 8.30? It's 8.30. Wow, Okay. It's 8.30. And um, 
In addition to that, in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, it says, Therefore he is also able to save the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus Christ is a mediator. He mediates. And I love Hebrews chapter 10. It's where it says, therefore, brethren. And why does he say therefore? It says, because by doing the will of God, Jesus sanctified us and by one offering on the cross he made us perfect forever so then it says in um in in uh, later on in hebrews 10 therefore brethren we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of jesus and job's whole point is i can't do that i can't even approach god i don't have a mediator um he said i i'm he said in verse 34 uh, he says that <clears throat> If I could, I would speak to God and not fear him, but it's not so with me. I, I'm filled with fear. I, I, I can't go to God. But um, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, no, we can go right in and we can, um, and we can worship him.